You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right. Raise your hand if you were here two weeks ago for my first message, The Joyful Life of the Church, Part 1. All right. Well, if you weren't here, go listen to it. It's a good one. I keep bragging about my preaching getting better. That was a good one. Today is going to be even better because I'm, I'm getting my notes way down. I think last, last time I preached, it was six pages of notes. This week, it's only three and a half. So if you follow the logic, it'll be, you know, at least double as good as the last time you were here having a great time, you know? So I don't know. It, it might be an epic failure and this might be the worst thing you've ever heard. But either way, God is in control. Amen. Uh, so if you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Joyful Life of the Church, Part 2. And um, just so you know that we're not thinking about random topics to preach about. We're actively seeking the Lord about what he might be saying to his church. And so we're doing our best to discern what the Lord is speaking. And we're, you know, like the book of James says, if you find that you need wisdom, ask the Lord for it, and he will give you the wisdom that you need. And so, you know, we're people and we need grace and wisdom. We need clarity. And so we do believe that when we pray that prayer, asking for wisdom, that the Lord is giving it to us individually and collectively. So I say all of that to say is that we're kind of pressing into this idea about the church, the capital C church and its relevance and its importance. But that has real life implications for this local body, this local church. We are the church. We are part of the church. Amen. So, uh, gosh, that, that line in that last song about opening up my heart again, I was really feeling the need to open up my heart again to the Lord. Cause I, you know, was, uh, when Shelly was talking about having those, uh, those times in your life where you had a great sense of expectancy and, and joy in walking with God. And then those, those times stopped and that disappointment gets on your heart, that jadedness gets on your mind and you find yourself maybe just going through the motions. You go through the motions of your life. You go through the motions of your walk with the Lord. You go through the motions of going to church and And you know, you can only do that for so long, right? Duty will only carry you so far. You know, you, you must have a love. There's a love that's connected to relating to Jesus that is, man, it's, it's really fun. It's really good. And it's, it's helpful to stay the course with Jesus. My friend, uh, Ted Kim, he pastors a church up in Chicago, Illinois, and he says this. Preaching is doxology. Preaching is doxology. And what he means by that is a lot of times we divide the service up between the worship and the preaching or the singing and the word. And we kind of check out in the word space because we think it's not really worship. But 
To me, the best kind of preaching is not the kind that's giving information, but it's the kind that is leading this group to an experiential experience of the man himself, Christ Jesus. So don't be shy this morning. If you feel me going up the mountain a little bit, go with me. You know, we don't have to be well-behaved Christians when we come in here. So I, I'm a man of the word, but I am also a man of experience. And I am so thankful that my life with Jesus has, has had seasons where I couldn't see anything with my eyes and I was only walking by faith. And I had to go seasons where that was all I had. But I'm so thankful for the seasons when I had more than that. I'm so thankful for the seasons where Jesus became real to me. Where he stopped being a theory. He stopped being a good idea. He stopped being a good teacher back there somewhere in the past. And he became somebody that I knew in the now. And I had this thing happen to me. Uh, I'm 48. When I was 24, I got a hold of a book that changed my life. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I mean, other than the Bible. The Bible's really great. You should read it. But there's other things, right? So Robin has this friend named Rick Joyner. He wrote this book called The Final Quest. And I grew up in this little Pentecostal church. And we were convinced that we had the full revelation of God. Like in the church that I grew up, we were working under the assumption that we knew everything that there was to know about God. And anything beyond the four walls of our church was either heresy or just not worth relating to at all. But somehow, when I was 24 years old, this little book landed in my hand called The Final Quest. And without going into the gory details of this book, it is really one man telling about his encounter with Jesus... And that guy's experience with the Lord rubbed off on me in a way that forever changed my life. This all happened on the left side of the country over there in California somewhere when I got a hold of this book. It changed me so much that I left my mom and my dad and my brothers and I got my wife and my two little girls and got into a car and drove all the way over here. When you meet Jesus, you will do things that you never thought you would do. The church is desperate to have ongoing encounters with the man Christ Jesus. We need that in our lives. This isn't information exchange. We're having experience with the man Christ Jesus. So I don't know if you remember this, but a couple weeks ago, I told the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. So this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, he had pulled over to the side of the road in his chariot, and he started reading the Bible. How often do you do that? (laughs) Pull over your chariot on the side of the road just so you can read the book of Isaiah so you can better understand it. So this guy is doing this, but there's something happening. He is a man who lacks understanding. Jesus Christ is hidden from this man, even though he's reading the Bible. Did you know you can read the Bible and not see Jesus? 
Do you know you can read the scripture and miss God in your reading? But something miraculous happens. The church shows up in this man's life. The church shows up in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch and reveals Jesus to him. And his life was forever changed. Philip the apostle miraculously shows up. He says, hey, what are you doing? I'm reading the Bible. I don't know what it's saying. Can you explain it to me? Yes, let me explain it to you. And based on all the stuff that Philip learned from Jesus, Philip explains the scripture to the Ethiopian eunuch and his eyes were open. He got baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost and went on his merry way, carrying the gospel to the continent of Africa. And that happened because this man had Jesus revealed to him and Jesus was revealed to this man through the church. Shelly was talking about it this morning. Somebody said, I need to have God revealed to me. Where can I go to find somebody who will tell me how to understand and get to God? And Shelly was able to do that. So the life of the church, it is joyful because we are people who reveal Jesus. So I don't know if you know about the current state of the church in America, but there's all kinds of really bad statistics that are prophesying the doom of the American church. Like you can do a really easy, simple internet uh, search and you'll find like these daunting statistics. Like nobody's going to church anymore. Everybody's checking out. There are all kinds of issues. There's some really bad stuff going on. Uh, within culture, nobody believes in God anymore. Like if you just had the statistics talking to you, you would really be in your right mind if you just wrung your hands, got discouraged, gave up on the whole project, and went on your merry way and did something else. But here's the thing, y'all. Statistics are not the story that we're listening to. We should pay attention to them. It's good to know what's happening. You don't want to be ignorant of the world that you're living in. But the thing about being a Christian is, is that the story that you're receiving isn't just the story that is being told to you from the world. There are other sources, better sources that should be speaking to you. There are other things that you should be listening to, namely the Holy Spirit, namely the Bible, namely your brothers and sisters in Christ who are faithfully following Jesus. Those are the people that you should be listening to. Those people can reveal Jesus to you in a way that he will become real to you. So today, rather than reading you a bunch of data on plummeting church attendance, I'm going to give you my basic premise about the church. Are you all ready for this? So first of all, the reason why I'm talking about this today is because I love the church. I always have. Even before I was paid to be here, I was here every Sunday since I was a little kid. 
My parents never missed church. I never missed church. Even when my parents quit going to church, they had ruined me forever. I kept going to church. My parents left the church that I grew up in and I still went. Man, that is, that's a turn of the story, isn't it? Usually it's the kids that bail on church. My parents did. And I stayed because I had been ruined by the church because the church revealed Jesus to me. And Jesus was the one who gave me the life that I needed. So this is my premise. The church is what God is doing. It is what he is building. The church is God's main plan. It is his plan A. It is not his plan B. It is not a circus sideshow. And no matter what the cultural moment looks like or what the statistics say, God is enthusiastic about his church. It is the project he is working on and it is the project that he is working through. If you want to be centered in the project that God is working on and in and through, then you might want to place yourself within the church. So let's read some Bible. We should do that. If you have your Bible, open up to Acts 2. If you have your iPhone, feel free to take it out. Check your Instagram first. Check your Twitter and then open up your Bible app. That's how I do it. Listen, if I'm going to tell on everybody else, I got to tell on myself first, right? Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. I love this passage. If you've been around me any amount of time, you've heard me talk about this before. It goes like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Have you ever been in a worship set and you've been complaining that it was too long? It was like 45 minutes. And you're like, good grief. This is a long time. I was done at 30 minutes. These people were gathering together at church every day and worshiping together. I mean, they were serious, y'all. I mean, I'm not calling you out for your lack of serious. I'm just, I'm just giving some context here. These people had met the man Christ Jesus and it changed their life. They actually wanted to go to church. Flip on over um, to verse uh, chapter 4. This is another good one. Uh, chapter 4, starting at verse, uh, let's see, what do I have? 31. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. Bunch of communists. So they shared everything they had. 
the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you want to know what the gospel is, it's just somebody standing up and saying that Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended. That's the gospel. This is what the apostles preached and everything changed in their city when they did this. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So here we see this community. We see this community being formed out of radical experiences with the living Christ through the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Community, especially religious community, was not a new thing when this was happening. See, a lot of people like to talk romantic notions about the early church. Oh, community this, community that. You go to any church, oh, we're all about community, community. You know, you can go to the, join the Rotary Club and have community. There's plenty of people who gather for the sake of community. These people were not gathering for the sake of community. They became a community because they had encountered the living Christ. The world then was full of groups who formed around belief and practice. Almost all people of that time in history were religious and were in some kind of religious community. The church of Jesus Christ is a community, but it exists because of the generative work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. That's why we're sitting here today is because of the generating work of the Holy Spirit. You are sitting in the seat that you're in today because somewhere at some time, someone had an encounter with the Spirit of Christ that led them to follow Jesus into the ministry of revealing Jesus. We didn't build this building because we wanted to have a community. We built this building because we wanted to reveal Jesus to people. Because we know that when people see Jesus, their lives are actually changed. Sometimes you get a life with more problems. I'm not saying it's going to be the answer to all your problems. But you will change for the better. Your world will become life-giving. There was a person or a group of people who had a supernatural encounter with the living God and they were compelled to join the Holy Spirit in the work of revealing Jesus. The life of the church is joyful because it is the place where the people encounter Christ through the activity of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this again. The church is joyful because it is the place where the people encounter Christ through the activity of the Holy Spirit. So I want to knock down a little bit of a, um, a fad that I've heard over the last 10 or 15 years. Okay. There's a, there's a, there's a phrase that goes like this. The church isn't a building. It's people. All right. Have you heard that before? The church isn't a building. It's people. Okay. It's kind of true, but I could also say that church is a place. Church is a place, and it's a unique place 
because it's the only time in your life when there is a serious gathering of like-minded people. They're not all the same, but there's this person that we have come to see together, which makes the church building very special, very important, and worth taking into the future. Now, I'll say this. House church movements are fine, but from my experience, they don't often last very long. There is something really special about bricks and mortar, about chairs on a cement floor, about money to pay the lights, about volunteers that are in the nursery with the babies. Because what that does, it allows a place for the people of God to come together and experience the activity of the Holy Spirit in a way that you cannot experience on your own in your everyday life. Now, let me say this. You should have an active, ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit in your everyday life. But it will definitely look different than the one you have with all of these people in the same room together. We need this, y'all. We need each other. We need to hear one another singing the praises of God. We need to hear somebody get up in this pulpit and talk about leading somebody to Jesus. You know, maybe you haven't had that experience of leading somebody to Jesus in a long time. But when you hear somebody talking about it, what does it do? It elicits a response. It shows you a possibility. It lets you go, oh, I see a possibility. Maybe I couldn't do that last week, but I could do that this week because her faith got onto me. I didn't have faith. Now I do. So the church is different than other communities because it believes the words of Jesus and it obeys the commands of Jesus. The church is an alternative community because it does what Jesus said to do and it believes the way that Jesus believes. Very often, you'll find this, the church will be out of step with culture because the church is devoted to the ways of Jesus rather than the consensus of culture. That's what sets the church apart. So it's very interesting. I've been reading all through the book of Acts this week, past few weeks, and I've noticed this pattern. And maybe you have too in your reading of it. But it's an interesting correlation. Every time the Holy Spirit begins to work through the church, there is a a correlating increase. When the church comes face to face with, with Jesus, something happens. It goes like this. One, new believers start to show up. Number two, there is an increased enthusiasm to know Christ. Number three, fellowship goes way up. Number four, sharing meals goes way up. When there's an increase in the Holy Ghost, there's an increase in eating. When there's an increase in Holy Spirit experience together, you will have more community. 
Other things that increase. Oh, I got sharing meals. Prayer increases when the Holy Ghost shows up. Number six, a deep sense of awe increases. A deep sense of awe. In, in that chapter that I, or that passage in Acts 2, it says there was a deep sense of awe because people were just witnessing all of these signs and wonders going on. All kinds of miraculous things began to happen and new believers came into the fold and the, and the poor were no longer poor because people were sharing the money that they had. Things were changing in that world and people were in awe of it. You know what the best thing for a worship service is? Not good songs, but people encountering Jesus in their week, seeing stuff happen. It it frees you up because you no longer have to go through the motions. You no longer have to be persuaded by good lyrics in order to praise the living God. You've had a week where you've been in awe and you've witnessed Jesus in a way that when you come into the church, man, you're out singing your neighbors so much that you're annoying them. But you know what happens when that happens? When everybody begins to praise the Lord and we're no longer depending on the worship team to take us somewhere. And we're no longer depending on the songs to lead us anymore. And we get off the page a little bit like in the book of Revelations where all of those creatures and elders are around the throne and they're just looking at Jesus all the time and all they're saying is holy, holy, holy. And John the Revelator, all he's saying is, man, I don't know what this is, but it looks like a big glassy sea. And there's all of these beings everywhere and and there's no worship leader. There's no guy, white guy with an acoustic guitar. There's no overhead lyrics. People just know what to do because they're in awe of the man Christ Jesus. You know, you don't have to die and go to heaven to experience that. You know, that is actually our inheritance now. That's actually the thing that the church is called to on planet Earth. So all of this radical stuff is increasing. The, the joy is increasing. The generosity is increasing. Man, the worshiping God together is increasing. Oh, the unity in the hearts of the people is increasing. The sharing of everything is increasing. You know, you know, there's one thing though that did not increase. There was actually one thing that decreased. When the Holy Ghost started moving in his church, you know what it was? Needy people. Needy people began to decrease. God moved in the church and it said there was no needy among them. Whoa. Is God moving in that church over there? Yes, because there's no needy among them. I mean, you can be deductive with that reasoning or you can be inductive in that reasoning. But I don't know. The correlation is pretty clear. God moves. People get generous and other people stop being needy. Have you ever just been like wondering what to do with your life? You know, you get up in the morning. What should I do? Well, go make some money. Go make a lot of money. And then just give it away. Help people that need help. 
There's a lot of people in your world that need help. I mean, I think some of this money went to the church, but I'm not giving you a pitch to give to this church. I'm telling you when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you in your life, when you see the man Christ Jesus, your pocketbook is going to open up and every guy that's standing on the corner, every gal that's standing on every corner of the street, they're going to get a $10 bill from you because you know that those needy people need the Lord. So, you know, in chapter, Acts chapter two, things were really good. Acts chapter three, things were really good. Acts chapter four, things were pretty good too. But you know, let's not kid ourselves. We can read all through the book of Acts and we can paint this rosy picture. We can get a romanticized notion that the early church was really great and we just suck over here in the year 2021. But it's not true. Y'all, by chapter six, they were a total mess. Listen, listen to this. This is crazy. Acts chapter six. Man, they've been, they've been rolling in it. Signs, wonders, worship, prayer, all kinds of good things happening. And then by chapter six, everybody's mad. The church hits a wall. The church decides to deconstruct. The church decides they need to start another denomination. The church decides they don't like that preacher anymore. The church decides the way we've been doing things is all wrong. This is crazy. Chapter six. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Whoa. So guess what? Another thing about a a church that's growing in the Lord is that you will eventually experience trouble. You will experience discontent because church is filled with what? People, people, and, and people, y'all, what did we say the church was full of two weeks ago? It was filled with people like Peter who had been formed by the law. He was really, that man was made by the law of Moses. That's why even later on in the book of Acts, Peter gets in so much trouble Because he only understands God, not even through Jesus yet, but through the law of Moses. He is a man in process. He is a person as he ever was, as much of a person as he ever was. The church is filled with people who are in process. We can have a lot of grace for each other when we know that other people in this room have been formed by things other than Jesus. Just like that Ethiopian eunuch, he had been deformed by the world. Peter had been formed by the law, but the Ethiopian eunuch had been deformed by the world. And we saw in the the book of Leviticus and, and later on in Isaiah that people who had been deformed in the way the eunuch had, they were not allowed in the house of God, were they? They were not allowed in. And here, here God is calling all of these messed up people into his house to do this really amazing thing. So that's why we get to this passage in, in chapter six. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So y'all, there was 
some discrimination going on in the early church that they had to work through. But the good news is that they did not abandon the project. They just found solutions. That's the thing that we need to know, y'all. When things get hard, we don't abandon the project. We dig in deeper. We find solutions. So, y'all bear with me. I don't have much further to go. The thing about being a person, the thing about being a person in the body of Christ that we should always know and keep in mind that just like the apostle Peter, who was a man in process, we should always be aware that transformation, our transformation is not always instant. All right. Not all miracles that we experience are instantaneous. Much of the time, the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us, to us, and through us is a work that takes a long time. Okay? A lot of the stuff that God is doing in our midst, in our lives, takes longer than sometimes we're ready for or expect. So because of that, because our church is filled with people who are in process and process takes a long time, a lot of the time we can be offended by the church. We can even be offended by God because of the church. Okay? Now, I'm, that, that's really interesting to me that there's a lot of effort within the church to make ourselves presentable. Okay? There's a, there's a lot going on out there where we're trying to shine ourselves up, be something other than we're not. I don't know. Be fancy. Put a little spin to what we're doing. Try to be relevant. Which is fine, I guess. I'm just not that smart or I don't have that much energy to do all of that stuff. I'm a one-trick pony. The only thing that I really know to do is just to be myself as best as I can be. That's really what you're supposed to do is just be who God made you to be. But that gets hard, doesn't it, when we run up against people in our church that rub us the wrong way or are annoying or act in a way that we don't like, right? And so we can be easily offended by the church because we don't like the way the church looks. But I want to draw a connection for you this way. You don't have to reject the church because the church is ugly. You don't have to be offended by the church because the church is acting in a way that you don't like. You don't, ha you have permission from God to be in a church that doesn't have its act together. You know why? Because Jesus was not attractive. Jesus was not pretty. The book of Isaiah says this about Jesus. 
He had no beauty. He had no majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Don't you think maybe as it is with the Lord, it'll be so with us? And at times we are asking God for some kind of spectacle, but instead he wants to give us something meaningful. He wants to change us from the inside out among a people who are also being changed. And real lasting transformation takes a lifetime. I said, I I ran out into the parking lot after the, the, I think it was last week, the barbecue. I ran out to John and Kim Schroeder. I don't know why I did this. But I ran out. They were in their car. They were about ready to pull away. But I, I ran. I was, I was like, John, Kim, you want to hear something really great? They're like, of course we do. I said, pick a place and stay there for 10 years. I mean, I wasn't saying that to them. I was just saying it. Like they, I just needed somebody to hear what I was saying. But I was, I heard the Lord say, pick a place and stay there for 10 years. Because one of the main issues that people have in this life right now is rootlessness. People have no place to go because they haven't invested their lives into a place long enough to go anywhere with anybody because they've been offended by the people they've been near, judged those people, and left before God could do the work that he was trying to do. See, God has his part, but you do too. We are not puppets on strings. God is not a puppet master. The work of the Spirit is ongoing, but we can check out of it if we want to. And some of us have been talked out of putting our roots down in a place for a while because somebody somewhere told us that church was no longer relevant or important and it's just God's plan B. The church is God's plan A. It's the main thing he's doing. It's not a sideshow. If you want to know what God is doing, you've got to go find it in the church. Now, that is not to say that God is not moving out of the walls of the church. He absolutely is. He's working everywhere through a bunch of people all over the globe. So I should add that to that. So... It takes a lifetime to grow, and this is why we have a vision for church at Queen City. We are the people of God, and we belong to each other, and we need each other. I love that passage in Acts 2 that says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing meals. So devotion is a love word. You can always tell what a person loves by what they devote themselves to. Obviously, you can be devoted to things that don't lead to 
a good life or the good life. You can be devoted to things that wreck your life. You know, you could be devoted to drugs or alcohol. That will eat you alive. That will destroy you, right? There's plenty of things that you can give yourself to that will ruin you. That's not what we're talking about this morning. But when you, when you set your love and your enthusiasm on Christ, extraordinary things can happen, especially within the context of the church. Because here's why. Being devoted to the church assumes connection. It means that we are each responsible for taking care of each other, for encouraging and praying for one another, and for bearing one another's burdens. Devotion builds places. You cannot have a good home if a husband and a wife are not devoted to each other. You know, I come from a broken home. I was raised in a, in a home where the, where the, my mom and dad stopped being devoted to each other and the outcome of that was destruction. Devotion builds places. When, when, when a man and a wife are devoted to each other, it creates a space for others to be able to grow and to thrive. So devotion builds places, but devotion also leads to legacy. What we are building in this church is not a place where we like to be, or not just a place where we like to be, but we are building a legacy. We are giving ourselves to this church because we want it to be a place that our children want to be and our grandchildren want to be and our spiritual brothers and our spiritual sisters and our spiritual children and spiritual grandchildren can be and find out about Jesus for generations to come. When you invest in a place for 10 years, what you're doing is you're devoting yourself to a legacy. And let's, let's be honest, it's not easy being in relationship with people. Maybe you don't even like the people in this church. That's okay. Jesus likes the people in this church. And he'll teach you to like them too. But devotion is building the good life even when your feelings are telling you otherwise. You know, we will all face this, y'all. There will be plenty of seasons in our lives where things are difficult, things don't make sense, and you must rely on some, I don't know, some grit, some endurance, some times where you don't feel like happy Holy Spirit, yah, yah, the worship team was so amazing and worship was the greatest thing ever. We will all have times in our lives where we have to put our boots on and endure. Paul talked about that over and over. At one point he says, man, you tried every trick in the book to remain faithful. Now, having done all that, just stand. You've tried everything to outscheme the devil and none of it's worked. 
Now all you have to do left is to stand. You know, sometimes that just looks like going to church. Sometimes that looks just like bringing somebody a meal. Sometimes that looks like praying even when you don't have any prayers to pray. Sometimes this this project that God is doing called the church, we come up with these assessments. The work is too hard. This work doesn't matter. This work will not produce any fruit. This work will cost me too much. And that is ultimately why we must have a vision for Jesus himself. Building the church is a practical work, and it is something that we should grow in our love for, but we cannot do any of this out of a sense of duty. We devote ourselves to each other because we love Jesus and because he has loved us. Amen? My whole life, this this is the truth about me. My whole life, even before I met God, I was anticipating God. Do you, do you know what? You know, does that make sense? Like even before I had heard the gospel, there was something in me that was anticipating knowing Jesus. Like, I don't know. Like it just, it was inside of me. Some people describe it like a Jesus shaped hole or something like that. But, but when I heard the gospel, it just, I was like, I didn't need an apologist to convince me that Jesus died and rose from the dead. I just heard the gospel and I instantly believed it. And I am convinced there are so many people out there who are ready just like that, who are ready just like that, who are ready to have Jesus revealed to them. And I feel like the depths of knowing Jesus that we sang about in that last song are as much for us today as they ever were. Like, I remember that feeling when I first got saved. Like, man, this this is incredible. I love this. And then somewhere along the line, my love grew cold. I, I checked out a little bit. I began kind of going through the motions relationship with the Lord. And I was just reminded again this week as I was studying these passages in Acts that there are new and fresh depths of knowing Jesus. And we can have those individually and we can have them together. Amen. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you just like it if in 12 months from now, Queen City had 500 people in it and 250 of those people were brand new believers and there were people in the back accusing each other of stealing money from each other, just like in the book of Acts. Like, I, I'm being funny, but I'm being real. Like, I would love it if we just, we blew up in a year and it was because so many new believers came into this place that we just didn't have enough people to disciple all the new believers. And so everybody started being discontent and fighting out in the foyer. I think that would be great. I mean, that's better than boring old church, isn't it? That's better than just coming in here every week and shuffling out in time for the Panthers game. I mean, I was on the Panthers train when they won their first three games. But man, it's just looking bad now, you know. We need to pray for the Panthers. But are y'all with me? Are y'all picking up what I'm setting down? 
Well, let's do this. Let's stand up together. Listen, my prayer is that there was not very much information transfer this morning, but that there was a whole lot of Holy Ghost transaction happening between you and the Lord this morning. And we never, we, you know, somebody asked me and Robin one time, are y'all hard on sin? Well, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. I don't know how to be hard on sin. She whiz, like, how do you feel about sin? Well, I hate it, you know, like, what do you want me to say? I'm pro-sin, you know, like, but, but the truth is, we actually are very oriented towards grace. And we don't make it our business to get into everybody's dirty details of their lives unless they want to tell us something. But we definitely want to make room for people to be able to do business with the Lord. And one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave us was the gift of forgiveness through repentance. And maybe this morning, you like everything that I've been saying, but you're not sure that your life is right with God this morning. And you want to just get right with God. And I used to think that to get right with God, you had to fast for 40 days, take a whip and beat yourself over the back a few times, really prove to God that you were serious. But what I realized was I wasn't taking serious enough the thing that he did for me, which made entering into his goodness so easy. I mean, Jesus said it on the cross. It is accomplished. I have accomplished everything that I came to do. The world is free. All that's left to do is just to receive that forgiveness. So let's start there this morning. If you want to ask the Lord this morning just to forgive you of your sins, I don't know what it is, man. You could have stole a pack of hubba bubba. I don't know. You could have done, I don't know. What's the worst thing? I don't know. Trying to think of something that doesn't get me in trouble. (laughs) Let's just take a minute and just... Go before the Lord right now. Jesus, here's our sin. Here's our sin right now. We ask you to wash us clean and free us right now. We have a faithful high priest who is able who is able to free us from all righteousness, all unrighteousness. Now, now that you've prayed that prayer, now that you've confessed your sin to Jesus, I just want to tell you this. This is according to either first or second Peter. You are not a sorry old worm that God is enduring and your life isn't one of sin management, but God has literally given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's actually the truth that you are hardwired to live the good life with Jesus. It's not counter to your nature. It is actually your actual nature that desires that. So I'll just pray a final blessing on you that you would receive that reality right now into your being. 
So you can put your hands out or you can close your eyes, whatever. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. Fold your arms. Look down at the floor. Look down at the sky. I don't even care. The faithfulness of God is sufficient. Lord, right now, I bless all of these beautiful, wonderful people with the awareness and the realization that all of who you are is currently dwelling in each person here. And that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and you are leading us to being fully transformed into your likeness and image. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That's our confession, Lord. In your name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Y'all, it's 1210. I am killing it more and more every Sunday. We've got, we've got prayer teams up front here. If you want more prayer today, let these people lay hands on you. They're going to be up here on this, this side of the building right here. If you need healing, if you need whatever, these folks will want to pray for you. Otherwise, find somebody, take them out to lunch, meet a new friend, give somebody a holy handshake. Holy handshake. Yeah, that's a new thing. We'll see you all next week. been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.